0: Hallelujah. Well, I want to just uh, mention a couple things before we begin to pray, um, before we begin to hear the sermon today. I want to just pray uh, today for Pastor James Coates uh, from Grace Church in Edmonton, and uh, we want to pray in a prayer of agreement just for, I, 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 yeah, I'm not debating anything. I just think that the way that this is being handled is not correct, and we need to pray for uh, him to be uh, set free. Uh, and for him to have wisdom as well in all that so I think there's two sides to that and um, but I do want to pray I think the government has overstepped here and uh, we want to pray for for this uh, church family and for this pastor amen and we want to pray for the Morin family Doris Morin passed away a few days ago and uh, she is with the Lord and we want to continue to pray for the family pray for Roger And if you guys are watching, we are praying for you. I've been praying all week for you guys. And, uh, you know, it's a bittersweet victory, amen, when our loved ones go to be with the Lord. But it's mostly victory. Amen. So let's just pray for this church family and for this pastor and for the Moran family. So, Father, we just love you today. We thank you that we can uh, come before you. Thank you for the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus, Lord. We do pray for Pastor James Coates. Lord God, we do pray for... Wisdom uh, for his family, wisdom for the government, Lord God, and um, yeah, just help, Lord, and uh, for them to have understanding, but also for there to be uh, true justice, Lord God. We just lift that up to you. We do pray for the Morin family. Thank you for Doris and her life and for the victory that she has in you, Father God. Thank you that she's enjoying uh, you right now, now and for eternity. We bless Roger as he. Uh, grieves the loss of his wife Lord God and their family we pray your blessing upon them in Jesus name amen amen well this uh, this uh, day we're going to continue our series on uh, essential church and uh, the intention of all that we're building line upon line week upon week the intention is that you and I live as disciples of Jesus Christ This is what we are called to be. This is what we are called to do. And so uh, what does that mean for your life and for my life? We're going to go on. You know, Pastor Peter talked last week just about the love of God as being the foundation. And that foundation is um, really you go forward from that place. It's not that you love God. It's that God loves you. And because God loves you, you can live your life and live in victory that way. And so Pastor Peter did a great job. The week before, I talked about the greatest problem in the church is also its greatest solution and the greatest problem in the church is sacrifice for sin but the solution to that is sacrifice for sin that we you know we try to add to the gospel we try to add to uh, the truth of uh, the message of Christ and uh, how many know that just creates a problem the finished work of Jesus is enough what he has done is enough and so we need to get that we need to understand that And, uh, you know, we need to stop trying to offer our own sacrifices and rest in his one sacrifice. And then we showed you a picture in that sermon of what the difference between Christianity is and every other religion in the world. And this is a critical uh, for you to understand because people always ask me, well, that's good truth for you, uh, you know, but uh, it's not for me. You know, I believe this or you believe that. Well, what's the difference between Christianity and every other religion? And so every other religion in the world is on your left there. And uh, the religions of the world, you know, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter what you do. You're never going to reach God. It doesn't matter what you do. You can try your head off. You can, you know, it's just uh, so clear. The word of God, it tells you you're going to fall short. You're going to fall short. You're going to fall short. But on the right-hand side there, Christianity, God has reached us. Do you notice that they're actually doing the same things? Good works, worship, sacrifice. But Christianity becomes a totally different religion because it's not about what you have done, it's about what God has done for you. And so this is it. Like, I'm sorry, there is only one way uh, to, to come into a relationship with God and it makes perfect sense. If every way that I try falls short, then, then there must be a better way. Well, the better way is to trust Jesus. Amen. And so we talked about that, and it just seems like it's too good to be true. Because even when I mess up, even when I screw up, the worst place I fall is God. Even when I'm trying to climb up and and do all these right things, and that's a good thing, the worst place I can fall to in the Christian side there is I fall on God. Amen? I I always say this. I love this thought. In Christianity, you start at the finish line. It's awesome. Just show up for the race. Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus. Okay, you win. You're like, I haven't done a thing yet. I haven't done anything yet. I know. Isn't it awesome? You win. Here's your prize. Oh man, we're gonna get into that in the next couple of weeks, like crazy stuff. Like you are more than a conqueror. Like you, you know, you're a co-heir with Christ, like everything Christ has won is yours. Like what whoop, blow your mind. Kind of amazing. But understand something, guys, understand something that people struggle with this. It seems too good to be true. And, uh, you know, there's a scripture that talks about the cross of Jesus Christ. And it says uh, the cross is a stumbling block to the religious folk. It's a stumbling block because they figure I have to do something. How, how can it all be done? How can it be a free gift? I, I don't get it. And so they think I've got to add to this. Jesus and. Sir sure, Jesus is good, but I've got to add my stuff. And he's like, you know, the minute you add your stuff, you, it's not the same religion. Now, you do all kinds of things because you are right with God, but you don't do them to be right with God. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so it's a stumbling block where people are stumbling over it, but it, the Bible also says to irreligious people, the cross is foolishness. Why would you people come to church? Why would you tithe? Why would you give money? To, why would you serve? That's crazy. It's crazy. Do whatever you want, man. You're free. Oh, how many know your freedom? You're only as free as your next decision. <laughs> And when you're in Christ, you are free, you know, you are free to make those decisions that lead to life, and to victory, and to hope, and to grace. You're not free to do whatever you want, that only leads to bondage. And so we got this tension, this tension all the time, that the message of Christianity is a foolishness to one, a stumbling block to the other. But I'm going to tell you, there's an even more uh, kind of interesting accusation, it's not against us, it's actually against God. And it's, the accusation is this, how can a just and a holy God give us righteousness as a gift? How can he do that if he's just, you know? You know he's kind of like a parent who, like, He's overindulging a, a misbehaving child. You know, you think God just winks at our sin and says, Ah, that's good, you know, I love you. Oh, you're, you're a sinner, you little sinner, you. whoa, oh, I love you. No, no, that's not what he does. And so, well, he does love you. But understand there's a price, there's a cost, there's something that has to be paid for. And so we understand this, and, and, and really the theologians kind of lift this up and, and have this kind of like understanding of there's a difference, and we talked about this thing called righteousness, right standing with God, but you know there's something that has to happen to give us that. Let me just read this theologian quote from Dr. J- Joshua Jip. It says, how can this be? a holy and righteous God who justifies the ungodly, who declares the, his own enemies to be innocent and having the status of righteousness? Is this not simply legal fiction? And does not this render God to be an unjust and capricious judge who suddenly changes his mind whenever he wants, a judge who overrides his own perfect justice and falls into the ex- fails to exact the penalty for sin? See, this is the theological battle. This is when we say that, you know, you, you are righteous by faith, that you, by trusting God. There's a theological battle that has to go on and say, well, how can that be? How can righteousness be a gift? And so our text in Romans actually goes on and tells us how. It says this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. To be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness in the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. You're like, man, that's a lot of words and I don't get some of them and like, dang, what does that mean? Well there's some big words there. We're going to look at it in two ways. I'm just going to define those words really quickly and then we're going to go to trial. We're going to go to trial. We're going to have a little bit of fun today and understand what really what happened. So the word righteousness of course means to have right standing with. And understand it this way. This is what mankind had before the fall, before sin. We had right standing with God. We were in relationship with God. And uh, so that's a good thing, righteousness is what we, you know, we long for, righteousness is what we need, and uh, God is saying, you know, what you had before the fall, if you will come to me and receive my son, I'm going to give it to you again. But it's even better, which we'll get into next week. So, and then then we see the word redemption, you know, and that means a ransom paid in full to bring back one in prison for a fault or mistake. And so, you know, these words, redemption, you might hear them being thrown out there, but understand, a ransom had to be paid. <laughs> there, was some, there was a cost. There was a cost to the fault and the failure. And, and so we see this word ransom, and we understand that, you know, what's been brought back. And then the word atonement is another one of these great Bible words. What does that mean? Atonement means the bringing back together of something that was torn apart. Well, what was torn apart? You were torn apart from God. You were torn apart from yourself. You were torn apart from who you were intended to be. This is, you know, the atonement comes all of a sudden. This, and I love this way of understanding the word atonement. Just remember it this way. It's the at-one-ment. That which was separated has now been brought back together. How could that be? A price had to be paid for the at-one-ment that happened. And that's where we get this next word, which is the word Justified or justice, or justification. You see, that's a legal word. This is the definition, the status of acquittal acquired by a person so declared just. You see, this is a forensic word. This is a legal word. This is a a word that lawyers would use to say, you know, you go into something and you've got these charges against you, and if you leave that place without those charges against you, you have been justified. And that's a powerful, incredible word, but understand, in order for us to have righteousness as a gift, justice still had to be served. And you say, well, I get that, Pastor Greg, that's the cross, and I understand that, but I I need to unpack this a little bit more for us to grasp this, because if we really start to grasp what Christ has done, we're going to change the way we live, because gratitude is going to overwhelm us. And so we need to understand that. And we're going to go through the courtroom of God today. And you think, well, that's okay. The mankind is on trial. We get it. All of mankind's on trial, and we, we understand that. But I want to individualize this a bit. Forget about mankind for a moment, set them aside, and understand you are the accused. <laughs> it's you on trial. And so you might think, well, that's OK, I am on trial, but understand everything you've ever done is exposed by the moral law of God. This is the trial. I, I, I'm going to just unpack that a bit. I mean, every wrong thought, every wrong thing. and you think that's well, I don't know if that's true. Well, listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter four, verse 13, "Nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must." Give an account so then it gets a little more squirmy you don't know, understand what i'm saying like that now i'm on trial and i'm oh, this is a little bit more like why don't you why don't you look at him no we'll deal with him after you're sitting in the courtroom you're there and this is god he's speaking to you and understand who, who else is in the trial well god almighty is in the trial and he's the judge and the standard of his judgment is is the law of god or the book of god the bible that's the standard now that you know god is good his his law is good it is just it is right it is accurate you know it is authoritative it is all these things the problem is there's somebody else in the trial and that somebody else is the devil and he's the prosecuting attorney and the prosecuting attorney, what his job is to the Bible says, he accuses the brethren day and night before God. He accuses you. He's accusing. He's constantly pointing at your faults, my faults, my mistakes, your mistakes. He's constantly pointing at it. And what is his, what is his fuel? Guys, understand. He points to the law of God. He points to the book that the judge has to use. And he's saying, they're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty. And there's one other person in the trial, thank God, there's one other person in the trial, because here we are, we're the defendant, the defense attorney is just coming at us like it's horrible, and God the judge is listening, and and he has to, because his law is there. and, And understand, you know, there's also someone else, and that person is Jesus Christ, your defense attorney. The prosecuting attorney, the devil, the defense attorney, Jesus God the father the judge and you're the one on trial and so there we are so what happens in the trial is that the devil gets up as the prosecuting attorney and he begins to wax eloquent and uh, reminds the judge of his law your Honor, you know your law. You know what it says. You know that every violation is to, be, uh, is to be punished. And you understand, Your Honor, that according to Your Word, Your Honor, according to Your Word, that uh, every violation is one, one thing happens. The wages of sin is death, and I demand that you enact the penalty of the charges against this person. And so there you are. The judge listens, and you listen as the devil lays out every wrong deed, every wrong thought that now is being exposed, every wrong motive by the word of God exposed, and here you are and you're shrinking in your seat. Because understand something, if you're like me when you're on trial and all these things are coming up, the immediate thought is I want to justify, I want to blame somebody else, I want to get the eyes off me, what do I got to do, this is too much, it's too intense, this is too huge. And so understand you're there, the judge, you know, turns to you and he asks these words which you're not wanting to hear, which is this, you have heard these charges against you, how do you plead? And your defense attorney places his hand on your shoulder and he whispers in your ear and he says, it's going to be okay, just be honest with the judge which is not easy. (laughs) So you do, you think about it, and you finally come to a point and you say, guilty as charged, Your Honor. And just then, the prosecuting attorney rises up and begins to thunder. There, you heard it yourself, Your Honor. Judge him by the law. I demand that you enact the penalty of the law. He has, he has said that he is guilty of these things. And, and right then, you see the judge reaching for the gavel. And, and you're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And suddenly, your defense attorney says, Your Honor, if I may approach the bench... And the prosecuting attorney like, what's the meaning of this? He's already pleaded guilty. What are you doing? And, and, and suddenly the judge is speaking to the defense attorney. And no one knows what's going on. And the judge reaches for the gavel and you're thinking, this is it. And he says these unbelievable words. I'm going to delay sentencing for another time. And so the trial goes on. <laughs> It starts to happen year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennium after millennium, mankind goes on trial, and every one of us is standing on trial, and and all the charges are laid out against us, and the charges are right, they're accurate, and and we say, well, what do we do? And, and, you know, we have the same choice again and again. Either we plead guilty or we plead innocent, and God's like, I'm going to, the Father, the judge, he says, I'm going to delay enacting the penalty. And so that's what happens. And then something really bizarre happens. Your defense attorney leaves the courtroom of heaven, and he becomes a man. (laughs) He becomes a man. And when he becomes a man, the devil's kind of confused because, remember, he's, the, he's not only the prosecuting attorney, but he's also the one that accuses day and night and tries to get people tripped up by the law of God. And so he starts to try and trip up Jesus. Are you so remembering this? Jesus becomes a man, and the whole time the devil's trying to tempt him, trying to get him to violate God's law, trying to get him to break the law, but the, Jesus won't bite. He won't do it. He won't break down. He won't constantly, constantly, the devil's pressuring him, pushing against him. Won't you do this if you're the son of God? Why don't you do this? If you're the son of God, why don't you? Jesus Jesus just keeps going straight towards the Lord, keeps walking in total victory. And then something bizarre begins to happen. Not only is Jesus untemptable, he's being tempted but not entering into sin, he begins to set people free who have been destroyed by sin. He begins to set captives free. He begins to heal the sick. He begins to raise the dead. He calls out and forgives sin. And you're like, what is going on? The devil's freaking out. He's like, this can't happen. He's helping people. He's fixing people. I've got to do something. So then he decides, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get one of his followers to betray him. And so he does. He convinces one of the followers of Jesus to betray him. And for three pieces of silver, he betrays Jesus. And a mockery of a trial happens. You know the story. And there he is on trial, Jesus, the perfect son of God, sinless man, sinless in every way. But he's on trial now. And even even at that time, Pilate, the the Roman authority, said, I I can find nothing to accuse this man of. Like, I need to let him go. And they're like, no, if you let him go, you're no friend of Rome. And so Pilate gives in and he crucifies this Jesus, and you're like, wow, what is going on? Something begins to happen. The devil thinks he's won. Are you guys following me? The prosecuting attorney is thinking, this is amazing. I've won the battle. I've won the battle. It's awesome. And, and, you know, I'm I'm not only going to get to destroy mankind now. I'm going to get to destroy the Son of God. But something occurs in that place when Jesus is being crucified. Understand, the court is reconvened. And the father speaks these words. He says, today I will enact my summary judgment against mankind. They are guilty of violating my holy law. And the penalty for that violation is death and separation from me me for eternity. And the devil gleefully shouts, this is the moment I've been waiting for. But something happens. The father continues to speak, the judge. And he says, my son will take the place and pay the penalty of every violation. And The devil's like, what, what, what's going on? And so on that cross, in that moment, all of the judgment of all the sin of all mankind is paid for by Jesus on the cross. Church, get this. This is the ultimate sting operation. The devil thinks he's won the greatest victory in the history of all the universe, thinking he's defeated God finally, and then all of a sudden God in a moment flips a switch and the devil has lost everything. You think that's not true? Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse eight. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And you're like, what What happened? What happened? You see, understand all of your sin, everybody's sin, every human being. Church, listen to me. Listen to 1 John 2, verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. 1 Timothy 4, 10. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially those who believe. You see, all sin has been dealt with on the cross, but the way that you enact that favor, the way that you grasp that, the way that you take that payment is you have to receive Jesus and believe in his finished work. Justice has been satisfied. You've been declared innocent. The Bible in 2 Corinthians 5.21 says to us, he who knew no sin became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God in him. What? Mind-blowing. You see, guys, the justified is such a cool word. Justified, and the best way to remember it is this. Just as if I hadn't sinned. So you go into the courtroom of God. Check this out. You go into the courtroom of God. All the charges are laid out against you. And if you will but say, I am guilty, and I want to receive Christ's finished work for me, all of those charges are gone, but guys, this is mind blowing. The word justified is, does not mean that the, you know, like all the sins are listed, all the faults are listed, and the big word forgiven is across them, and in, and you can still see them behind the word forgiven. Are you following me? That's not what this word means. <laughs> this word justified means this: you go in, you go in as guilty as hell into the courtroom, and you come out as if you'd done nothing. Literally, your entire slate is clean. You're given a blank sheet of paper. They can't even go on the internet. They can't even Google Greg Fraser's sins. Nothing comes up. Why? It's under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's paid for in full. Woo! Good news. Good news. Because I leave justified. Hallelujah. Well, how does this affect things? Number one, it changes the way we see the cross. Changes the way you see the cross, church. Listen, righteousness emphasizes the subjective side of the cross. And that means this. Righteousness is like when I look at the cross, I see the benefit. The benefit is I'm right with God. The benefit is I've received such blessing. The benefit, oh, it's so good, I'm so thankful. And it's good, that's not a bad thing. But how many of you know there's also an objective side to the cross? There's a way that God sees the cross. And the way God sees the cross is that the payment for sin is paid in full. And so you need to see both sides of the cross, church. You not only see the benefit, I'm right with God now, but you also see this incredible price that Jesus paid in order to make you right with God. Wow. Wow. And that makes me more responsive. That makes me more thankful to God, more aware of what happens, and that changes the way I see myself and others. You know, there's an incredible thing that happens because of the cross, church. You know, the devil no longer accuses you before God day and night. He can't, because sin has been paid for. It's paid in full. He doesn't have access to the Father. So guess who he accuses you to now? Yourself. He can't accuse you to the Father. Why? God's not going to listen. The payment has been paid. Sin has been removed. If you trust Christ, it's gone. By the way, this is incredible. All the sins of the world are actually on there. And you understand that everything, every price has been paid. There's only one sin left that keeps people from God. And that's this. Will you believe in what Christ has done for you? That's it. When we stand before God on judgment day, and every human being will stand before God on judgment day, it's going to be one question. Are you standing on your own, or are you standing with Christ? That's the separation. Wow. See, it changes the way I see myself. It changes the way when the devil whispers in my ear, listen to me, church. Oh, this is a good one when the devil whispers in your ear reminding you of your past, remind him of his future. Whoo! I mean, you can read about it. Revelations 20, verse 10, it's like, you know, The Bible actually says this, devil, and I've done this before praying. You know, when I'm feeling like the devil's on me and I'm feeling condemned for something, I'm like, devil, let me just tell you about your future. You know, the Bible says that one day God is going to rip the horn out of your head and cast you into the lake of burning sulfur where forever and forever you will be tormented. Woo! How about that, devil? I'm going to be in eternity basking in the glorious presence of God and you're going to be tormented day and night forever and ever. How many of you know he ain't gonna torment you much longer if you keep telling him that? Amen? Changes the way you see yourself and others, guys. This is beautiful. Confessed sin is gone, it's not gonna come up on Judgment Day. It's under the blood. Listen to what it says Psalm 103 He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Hallelujah. (laughs) Just as if I'd never sinned. That's justice. That's justification. This is what Christ has done, guys. It changes the way we respond to God's offer, church. Here it is. You either reject it. And if you reject it, understand this. This is Jesus' words, Matthew 12:37. "By your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned." You either accept it or reject it. First or John 12:48. There is a judge for whom one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn him on the last day. Why can God say this? Guys, listen to me. Because he's paid the price in full. Do you know why God will be judged just on that day? Why no one will be able to stand and say, God, you were wrong. God, you didn't do enough. God, you could have done more. Why? Because God has done everything. No one can stand before him on that day. You know, that's why the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He paid the price in full. So you can reject it and stand on your own or you can accept it and regardless of what you've done, no matter what you've done, if you will but accept Christ's finished work in God's forbearance, remember we read this, he delayed judgment on your sins and he's delayed judgment for every human being and basically on one thought, one, conclu- one conclusion, will I accept Christ or will I reject him? That's why we have to preach. <laughs> That's why I have to passionately stand up here and say, guys, don't reject Jesus. Don't stand on your own. Don't stand on your own in that day. You don't have to stand on your own. You can stand in Christ. You can stand with Christ. It doesn't matter what you've done or failed to do. Come to Jesus. Keep coming to Jesus. Keep coming to Jesus. Keep coming to Jesus. And he will take you, and he will clean you, and he will wash you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But if you claim to have not sinned, you're on your own. The thing we think keeps us from God, if we'll but confess us, brings us to God. I fall short. Accepted. Remember the Pharisee who stood before God in the story Jesus tells? I thank God that I'm not like this sinner who can't come into the temple of God. I thank God I'm not like this tax collector. I thank God that I've done all these things. And the tax collector sits outside the temple and beats his breast and says, God have mercy on me as sinner. And Jesus says, that man went home justified before God, not the other. (sighs) Hallelujah. It changes our attitude and makes us more thankful, reverent, and responsive. Church, you know, I'm going to tell you a scripture of mine that I find to be the most wondrous, terrifying scripture in all the Bible. And you think, when you hear it, you're going to say, really? I don't get it. Here it is, Psalm 130, verse 4. But with you, there is forgiveness. It's not going to come up on your screen. Look at me. With you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. That is the most terrifying verse you've ever heard. Yep. Because there's nowhere to hide, nowhere to run. But you don't have to hide. And you don't have to run. God is feared because every day, every human being will stand before him one day and they'll try and make excuses, they'll try and blame, they'll try and say, and God will say, why didn't you just come to me? I would have forgiven you. I would have helped you. Changes our attitude. When we understand this, you see, he changes our sin for his righteousness, our lives for his life, our standing before God for his standing before God. You and I have broken out of prison, a jailbreak justified by the fact that someone took our place so we could be free. Wow. What's my response now? There's a story of a little girl in a church and she came from a very poor family she was hanging out in the church and just came because she loved to feel the presence of God she loved how the people loved her and cared for her she was at the back of the church one day and they were taking up the offering and uh, the offering plate came by and she opened her little tattered purse and she looked for a coin she had nothing in there so she couldn't give anything in the offering and she started to think about it and the, it, the, she was at the back of the church and the usher took the, the plate that had come across her plate, her lap and everyone else and there was envelopes in there and money in there and the usher started to walk forward with the envelope they were gonna, or the offering they were going to place it on the altar. But the little girl follows him follows him, and, and it goes behind him and then right before he lays the plate on the altar she tugs on his coat and she says, Mr., can I, can I have the offering plate for a minute? And he doesn't really know what's going on so he just kind of innocently hands her the offering plate wondering what's this little girl going to do and then she puts the offering plate on the ground and she steps into it she says lord i have nothing to give you but i give you my my life that's the picture church that's all we have to offer <laughs> is ourselves And that's enough. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm staggered by the depth of your mercy and grace, by the price that you paid for me, your enemy. Just say thank you, Lord. Give you my life fresh and anew today, Lord. Help me to live with you and live for you, to share the good news. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Greg, I want to ask Jesus to help me to live like that little girl, to place my life in the offering plate. I've asked him to save me, but I still keep living for myself and doing my own thing. But I need to surrender more completely and more fully today and every day. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Say, Pastor, that's me. I raise my hand. I step in the plate, Lord. (laughs) It's all I have to offer you, Lord. If you're here today and you've never ask Jesus to forgive your sins I beg you, I plead with you do not stand on your own on judgment day when you can stand with Jesus don't hide your sin, don't cover it don't pretend it's not there, just confess it just say I'm guilty I'm guilty your honor if that's you if you're watching online and that's you Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Raise your hand if you're in this building right now and you need to ask Jesus to come into your life. If you're online, raise your heart before the Lord. Don't leave today on your own. You can have an advocate, a friend in Christ who will walk with you every day. Amen? If you made that commitment online, Just let us know there's a place for you. You can say, I made a first-time commitment. We want to have a copy of that so we can call you, pray for you, love you, encourage you. So many good things God has for your life. Amen? Well, church, go forward today in the victory of justification, in the victory of faith. Stop trying to fix it and do it on your own and live your life with God and for God every day. Next week, we're going to blow our minds because the judge comes off the judgment platform and moves into another role with you and with me, which is un. It's incredible. Come back next week and hear about that. God bless you. Let's give the Lord Jesus Christ a hand clap. Amen. Amen. Go in the grace and the peace and the power of the Holy Spirit. Live your life in victory, church, for you are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Grab a coffee on the way out. Say hi to a few people. Remember, confessed sin will never come up again. It's under the blood. Amen and amen. God bless you, church.